Hey, everybody. Coming up on the Matt Townsend Show, online dating is a $1 billion industry in this country. So if people are willing to spend so much on it, how come everyone isn't paired off by now? Why does online dating still have a stigma? Should it? Up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Republicans are out in force in Charlotte trying to counter the Democrats' message at the Democratic National Convention. We have our war rooms. Here in downtown Charlotte, the GOP is keeping an ear and eye on everything the Obama campaign and its surrogates say and offering a response. Anything that we can do to get our side of the story into what the Democrats are doing. RNC spokesman Kirsten Krakowski came here straight from the GOP convention in Tampa. This is our surrogate area. Where they have notable Republicans like Congressman Jason Chaffetz ready to step in on radio, TV, anywhere. We just want to offer perspective. They're also handing out little, you didn't build that, Lego sets. Sagar Megani, Charlotte. The Pentagon has reviewed a new book about the raid on Osama bin Laden's compound and says it contains classified information. Spokesman George Little at the Pentagon says there has been an official review of No Easy Day. Sensitive and classified information is contained in the book. Little added the book should have been submitted to the Pentagon before it was published to make sure it did not contain sensitive and classified information. A lawyer for the author, former Navy SEAL Matt Bissonette, says there was no legal obligation to have the bin Laden book screened. Little would not say what punishment the author might face. But ultimately, it would be handled by the Department of Justice. Ed Donahue, Washington. As much of the economy continues to slump, car sales seem to be doing all right. Between GM's increase of 10% or Toyota's more than 40% jump in sales, automakers have reason to smile. Americans were out in force visiting showrooms in August, and they were buying. Catch-up time after holding off on new car purchases for years now. Senior analyst Jessica Caldwell with Edmunds.com. I think people are getting to the point where they can't drive their current car, or they're so enticed by all the new product out there, which there's a lot of. Despite the frustratingly slow improvement in the job market, more Americans are deciding it's time to buy a car. I'm Mark Hamrick. New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is teaming up with diet companies trying to gain support for his soda ban. Weight Watchers Jenny Craig and the diet company The Best Life lined up with New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg to back limits on sugary soda portion sizes. Weight Watchers North America President David Berwick says there's been a lot of hand-wringing over obesity, but not much action. Limiting restaurants, food carts, theaters, and ballgame vendors to 16 ounces at a time, he says, is a step. Just a little encouragement to make the healthy choice the easy choice is always a good thing. Opponents are ramping up as well. A group called New Yorkers for Beverage Choice claims more than 200,000 members. The Board of Health votes on the proposal next. Next week, all the board's members are appointed by the mayor. Warren Levinson, New York. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side, of course, doing what we can every day on this show to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives, healthier, happier uh, relationships. And today we're taking on relationships head on in the singles world. So if you are a single out there, 
looking for love, this may be the show for you. We're going to give you the tools you need. We're going to help you overcome some of your fears and maybe uh, even open up the online world to you if you've been too afraid to go there. It's interesting to me as a relationship coach uh, when I spend so much time with um, with certain people that just really are dying to find a partner. And, you know, they've tried the dating world and, you know, maybe they're 40 plus years old. They just they would love to just start dating. But they they run into this problem where they don't know where to find the people. Maybe they, they don't go to bars. They don't. You know, so what do you do? Am I supposed to pay for a date? I always have people say. And in my head, I always think, well, I guess if you want one, let's figure out a way to get more people by you. And it seems like to me online's the way to do that. But boy, I get a lot of pushback. A lot of people are absolutely just, it seems, terrified from, um, from the idea about the idea of going online. So we brought on an expert, okay? Elisa Goodwin-Snell, who is an expert in dating. She's a marriage family therapist. She understands this. She's kind of gone through it herself and figured out that there are some ways to to more effectively do online dating and we're going to we're going to be picking her brain for the entire hour today. Uh, but before we bring on Elisa, Elisa here's what we want to talk about, right? Now, online dating obviously it's been growing in popularity, but even uh, for 20 years into its existence now, it's gone on for 20 years, there's still a huge stigma surrounding it. There's this feeling that if you're not good enough to be a good catch in real life, you have to give up and surrender yourself to online dating websites. A few times I have ventured out into that world that's my darkest hours of dating. And I find myself signing up for five or six free different options. And usually it's because my confidence is really low. Some girl rejected me and so I'll get all. Yeah, she told me she's not interested. Well, I'll show her. I'm a good catch. But because I'm trying this adventure and my confidence is as low as it can go, I get this depressed feeling and I go, Oh, man, you're only going to meet losers online. I mean, if I'm such a loser that I'm having to go online, then they're probably losers too. Which makes me feel like an even worse loser, and that lowers my opinion of them too. And it's a downward spiral after that. But you start clicking around the three million or some odd uh, profiles that are on the site and find... Nobody's been online for six years. It's just a bunch of empty profiles. You feel Then you feel like an even bigger loser because you're there all by yourself. Or at least it feels that way. And the free version of the site only lets you send smiley faces to each other. You can't actually send a message. And then you never get a smiley face back. And so then I have to console myself and say, oh, the only reason she's not sending me a smiley face back is because she hasn't been on the website in a long time. Right? Right? Now, I do have to concede that I'm kind of cheap, so I only do the free stuff. Maybe if I paid the money, the site would be more useful. But I just can't bring myself to pay to use a site like that because I feel kind of creepy being on there. It turns dating into shopping on Amazon or something or browsing Craigslist for a used car. If you're not into These are real people, and there's just something about making judgments of people based off of a profile picture and a couple of words of text that, I don't know, it seems kind of dehumanizing. I can't do that in real life because I don't meet that many single women.
But online with 3 million profiles, I hope she likes the wrong kind of tennis. <laughs> Deleted. You just can't do that in real life. But even if happily ever after happened for me, I just would feel like for the rest of time, all my friends are going to judge my relationship with a little asterisk off to the side. Oh. I heard he met Helga online. No matter how compatible a future missus would be with me, I would just feel like people would treat us like I'd gotten a mail-order Russian bride or something. And there's something about online dating that just kind of kills the mystique of the romance, the, the mystery, the fate that brings two people together. I don't love her in the grocery store. How cool would it be to say, oh yeah, I met my wife because it was pouring rain and her paper grocery bag spilled open and it was groceries going everywhere. I walked over and helped her gather them all back up. Or even cooler to say, hey, hey, I saw this good looking girl and she was standing in the road and this motorcycle was coming at her at 200 miles an hour. And at the last minute, I jumped in and pulled her out of the way and saved her life. And then we fell in love. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being too idealistic. But for now, I'm planning to just see who I cross paths with in real life and wait until I'm back down in the dumps before I try again. Oh, boy. So sad. He's, and Rob's a good-looking guy. If, if there are any ladies out there looking for love, please give us a call or just email us here at... BYU Radio at I don't know what our email is, but Ray, email us because Rob needs love. And it's funny, man, we hit every famous love song from the 70s. Uh, we are going to help Rob. We are taking it upon ourselves. We've brought in the dating coach. Elisa Goodwin Snell is going to be with us, uh, author of seven books for singles, mom of two kids, marriage and family therapist. She is going to blow up the fears, the myths of online dating, and I'm pretty sure we're going to have Rob married by the end of this show. And if not, again, seriously, do email us uh, at, uh, what is it, mattchat at byu.edu. Give me a, give me a buzz there. That ought to work. And we're going we're gonna to figure out how to get this young man married. But honestly, are you tired of it? Do you feel like a lonesome loser? Do you feel like you're all by yourself? Well, let's start talking about it. After this break, we're bringing on an expert on the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to figure it out, blow up the myths, and bring on the dates on online dating right here uh, on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. An immersive technology opens the virtual door to some of the world's most acclaimed art museums. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Taking a stroll through the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam or the National Gallery in London might be just what you need to spark that next innovative idea. Of course, most of us can't afford the time and expense of traveling the globe to gaze upon Botticelli's Birth of Venus or Cezanne's post-impressionist works, 
Now, anyone from anywhere in the world can take a free virtual tour inside 17 of the world's most acclaimed art museums through an online technology from Google called Art Project. The project takes advantage of Google Street View technology. As you move virtually through the museum's galleries, you can stop at works of art that interest you. At the click of a mouse, you can learn about more than a dozen of the world's most famous collections. Google's technology lets you zoom in to view brushstrokes and other details of some of the most famous paintings at up to a thousand times the resolution of the average digital camera. The next time you need some inspiration, you can try Art Project for yourself at googleartproject.com. For Innovation Now, I'm Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. BYU Radio is your home for Cougar sports. And after each weekend's action, don't miss True Blue. Each week, join hosts Dave McCann and the entire True Blue team as they bring you highlights, analysis, and interviews from all the major BYU sports. New episodes air every Monday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time with repeats Tuesdays at 12.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Here on the home of Cougar Sports, Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are debunking the the myths, the concerns, the fears, if we can. We're going to give you the tools to uh, to get online. If, if online dating uh, is an option for you, if that's what uh, you're trying to do is find a partner, we're going to see if we can't uh, get you at least to think more clearly about online dating. It's not the big taboo it's meant to be or people have made it out to be. But before we bring on our guest, our expert, uh, we wanted to, to basically do this. Now, there's a saying. You've heard this, right? A wise person tends not to say very much, and a foolish person can't keep their mouth shut. Well, our producer Bryce found a few of these people on the Internet. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. There are times in my life when I have to take a step back and really wonder, is this person really that unintelligent, or are they just messing around? To give you examples of why I'm pretty sure the first conclusion is the reality more often than not, I have compiled some examples from the halls of shame that many online dating sites put together. One guy sends a message, Hey, you look like Rose from Titanic. Can I be your Jack? Girl replies back, You do know he dies at the end, right? Or another guy sends a message, Would you be interested in being my sister? Now, I'm not exactly sure what he's going for with that one, but thankfully the girl didn't respond to that. Or in one guy's description, he says, I can cure broken bones with my mind. Yeah, I'm really sure that you can't. Or this was under a, you should message me if, he says, if you own, would like to own, regularly shoot, or aren't afraid of firearms. If you're nervous about being around guns, it just won't work. Yeah, I think I'm more nervous about meeting a stranger from the internet who I'm pretty sure is going to be armed. That just won't work. Or from a Q&A section, what's the first thing people notice about you? One guy replies, fat and I have no teeth. Now, you can't knock him for honesty, but come on, this is online dating. You gotta put your best foot forward, and I'm pretty sure that wasn't it. Or here's one from the radio I heard. If my heart wasn't pumping my blood, I would give it to you. Wait, which one? The heart or the blood? Never, never mind. Both are gross, and I wouldn't know what to do with either one. 
Or there's this one. Guy describes himself as tall, handsome, down-to-earth, has a master's degree, has a house, a dog, likes to kayak, rock climb, camp, and water ski. And he's looking for a girl who's tall, attractive, down-to-earth, has a degree, a career, her own house, likes dogs, likes to kayak, rock climb, camp, and go water skiing? Yeah, so he's essentially looking for the female version of himself. Look, having things in common makes for a more stable relationship, but being exactly the same? I cannot see the appeal and dating a girl who is 6'2", short brown hair, can grow a beard in mere days. That's just too much like me. There's no way that that can be good, and there's no good way that that can work out. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Oh, I think it'd be fun to see you date someone like yourself, Bryce. Um, So we're talking about online dating. Good stuff. And Bryce brings up some really interesting points because... There's some, apparently there's some seriously messed up people out there and they're not all online. So we're bringing on our expert, uh, Lisa Goodwin Snell. Uh, You've got to, if you are a single person trying to figure out how to find a partner, you've got to go to her website. It's yourtechnique.com because what she's trying to blow up is the myth that it's not you. Okay. Sometimes it's just how you go about dating and relating. So Alyssa Goodwin-Snell, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Therapist, 17 years, marriage and family. Right. So you've kind of seen the the harder, darker side sometimes of relationships. Mm-hmm. Seven books on right. singles, right. which is huge. Yeah. And the big reason why I wrote those books to start with mm-hmm. is because of my concern about identifying the early warning signs of the abusive and manipulative. Good. So we were talking earlier about the importance of, you know, being safe online. Right. You got to be safe. Absolutely. And there's a ton of things you can do to be safe online. Um, we can't obviously cover all of those. Right. And I don't want people to be afraid of it because no. I really think online dating is such a valuable resource and you just why, really though, need why to Why are they afraid? It. Really? I mean, you get, the, you get the thing about somebody bringing a gun. That's scary. That aside, there's there's a lot of good going on online. Absolutely. And I met my husband online and Did it was you? kind of funny as I was listening to the the previous segment where they were talking about, you know, finding somebody who's already in your life <laughs> right. in, in this charismatic way that you might find them. And the reality is my husband that I met online, my um, cousin tried to set us up on a date three years before. We went really? to the same high school. We went to the same college. We had some of the same friends yeah. in college. So you really just don't know who you're going to meet online. You might run into people that you've known from years before, and it might be a, a beautiful match. You might run into somebody who's actually two blocks away from you. So online just opens up your avenues, and it just it gives you the ability to apply more effective dating techniques right. and to be continually growing and progressing in the process. Is it true? I mean, it seems like like Rob brought up a lot of just self-doubt. You know, only broken people go online. People that can't find somebody at their, you know, in their normal dating scene. It, it To me, it seems... It kind of seems like where I would go. In a weird way, it's safer. And I mean, it seems safer to me than going to a bar or whatever and putting yourself out there to be rejected every day. Well, for me, 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, when I tried online dating, I had to be pushed. I had actually worked, I've been a marriage family therapist yeah. for 17 years. So I had actually worked with several people who had been raped by men that they had met online. So, so I had already, a lot of yeah. reasons to say this creepy, weird stuff. But a friend of mine used the argument, Elisa, where are you going to meet somebody at your work? 
work. You can't meet them there. Right. You know, you're not in college anymore. Yeah. Where are you going to meet them? In the same circles you're already in, you need to expand your circles. And she said, don't you think there are other professionals like you who are looking for someone to meet that they don't have it in their professional circles either? And once I thought on that logic, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that makes totally sense. makes sense. Yeah. And I had a fabulous experience online. I met, I, I was able to identify the warning signs of a couple of creepers, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I met really great professionals and people who are interested in dating. The part of the problem of trying to run into somebody, you don't know if they're married. Right. You don't know if they're even interested in dating. And one of the principles I teach is I don't give the best of me to those who don't invest in me. And if you have to actually convince someone to date you because they're not prepared to actually make that investment yet, right. then you're going to have a much harder experience. The people who are going online are saying that they're ready to invest in the process. That's so, huge. And, and the dating process is a little bit more clear cut online because they someone has to play their role. We're not going to get stuck in the just friends trap because it's it's not that easy online. Right. You can't just be a friend. You can't just hang out. It, someone's going to play the role of pushing this forward, going on dates, making contact. Who who should be going online? I mean, I guess it could be everyone, but it seems. I mean, it seems kind of like something that you do when you're a little more established, established like you, where you're in a career. I mean, I, it seems like to me if you're out on a college campus, you really ought to be trying to date on the campus. Right. I think you will always find people who are online between the ages of 18 and 25. I mean, there will be those people, but there's a little bit more skepticism in that age range because, you know, why aren't you meeting them in more normal social settings? Um, But anyone over the age of 25, anyone who's a working professional, anyone who has a lot to offer but doesn't have a lot of good circles to meet singles and doesn't want to go to the bar, that's an ideal place to go. And it seems like, too, they might have kids and it's it's safer for them to do it this way than... You know, even having anyone even know where they live, who they are, know anything about them. Exactly. It all, yeah, go ahead. A couple of the warning signs you do want to watch yeah. for when dating online. Um, you're going to want to watch for anybody who's asking a lot of deeply personal questions right away. Right. Anyone who says you can trust me, okay, you know, just throw that profile <laughs> out the door. That's exactly. Right. Um, you're going to want to meet them in a public place. This is for both the men and women. Don't give out your work information. Don't give out your home information. Don't use a, a, a telephone number that people can track, whether it's work or home. Use a cell phone. It's much safer. Oh, interesting. So protect yourself in those regards. Meet them in public and just watch how much they pressure you. Anyone who's pressuring you for individual information or private information, anyone who's pressuring you for money, anyone who's pressuring you to meet them right away or sending a lot yeah, of messages. Yeah, what's with the neediness? Yeah, well, and they're sending a lot of messages late at night. All uh-huh. of those are warning signs. Outside of that, you're going to meet a lot of normal people and it's going to be comfortable. It's going to be fun. And if you say to them, you know, I don't know you, so I'd prefer to meet you in public, they'll be like, oh, I totally understand. Do you sense that these relationships tend to move faster than a normal relationship? I mean, it seems like if you're writing privately in your, you know, on a laptop while going to bed, it seems like it's just you get to more deeper topics, conversations faster, do you? The people who are inexperienced at online dating will do that. And um, unfortunately, the problem with that is they oftentimes reveal things to people that they haven't even talked on the phone yet. And once they talk on the phone, then they're like, whoa, I picked up on things I never would have picked up before. But they've made themselves so much more vulnerable because they've shared so much. If anyone who's had some experience is going to want to move to the phone call sooner, not later. And the longer you draw the conversation out in email, the more likely they're going to lose interest in you. So just... 
you know, give it three, four exchanges back and forth. And then you want them on the phone. You want them on the phone. And that ratchets it up. Then you can pick up more data. You can get information. You see how quick they are. Yeah. And you can sense what's what's sarcasm versus they really have Uh issues. What's joking versus, you know, they really are making threats. You know what I mean? I remember one guy I met and he was a comedian and that's all I knew, you know, reading from his profile. I thought his emails were hilarious. They were so (laughs) funny. Got on the phone with him and I'm like, oh, he was being serious. Those were issues. (laughs) (laughs) So you really just don't know until you're on the phone. And then, of course, you want to meet face-to-face yeah. too. And, and I guess you want, I mean, there's no hurry, I guess, to get to face-to-face. It just naturally goes that way. Right, right. Because you spent hours talking on the phone. Yeah. So really, we're just using the online to get enough people by us mm-hmm. that we then talk to enough on the phone that we then set up some dates. Right. And you don't have to spend a ton of time with both on um, emails back and forth. Right. We're going to get to a couple more techniques yeah, after I, the break. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give you a ton of information on how to make this transition smooth. Because it, it really is it's just a different world. I mean, um, but I guess honestly it's not because many of us haven't even been in the dating scene. You know, you get right. married when you're young. You haven't been back to that for 10 years, 15 years. Uh, to me, I like the idea that you're saying um, about, you know, to me, there's I call it the Iowa effect. There's an Iowa farmer who's a great man who's raising his family. His wife has died or something happened. They're divorced. She didn't want the kids and she's gone. So this guy's dated everyone in his circle of influence in Iowa, and he's done. And now he's just trying to be a good dad, and to me, he's like the online guy. Right. But here we live in Utah. Uh, What do you think about just only looking for people in your area? Well, I think there's so many disadvantages as well if you're trying to date within your social circles. I mean, that can get so uh, yucky and Uh weird. And um, Plus, we've got the whole hanging out and the just friends trap and all of these other, the two nice trap. You can fall into those so easily. And for women, oftentimes we fall into the I'm a pal instead of a gal trap. And once you fall into that pal trap, it is so hard for a guy to see you as a woman and to see you as a romantic interest. So there's just a lot of advantages to online dating. I don't think it's the only option. I think you just need to keep your mind really open and be willing to do your part and trust that others will match you in your efforts. And the more people you're dating, the less desperate you'll act. And that makes a huge huge difference. That's a sense of confidence, isn't it? And confidence is attractive. It is. Confidence is attractive and essential in both seeing a man as attractive and a woman as attractive. That's right. So it's funny because we, I guess, I guess that's the goal is once we finally are confident and good at this, then we don't need it anymore. I then know, you're married and then, you, then all these skills just kind of fall. That's what you've been aggregating or what but, are the tools that work? But we can fake it till we make it. Confidence matters. And yeah. you know, with these techniques, you'll look more confident even if you don't feel it. Isn't that – and that's important. Mm-hmm. And do you sense that uh, women are more prone to go online or men? Do you know the numbers on that? I think men, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's frightening to approach women yeah. and ask for their number and they're kind of hoping for an easier avenue to meet mm-hmm. people. And so as long as they're getting some amount of response, they're going to they're going to pursue online. The challenge is, what do you do when a woman doesn't write you back? And a lot uh, of guys have that frustration and struggle. I sent 20 emails or 20 yeah. flirts and I didn't get even one response. What's wrong with me? And so we can talk about those we'll details after more the break techniques. too. I, I think you just should start stalking. <laughs> um, a lot of people do that, Elisa. You may not know, but that's kind of the male approach is we just amp it up a yeah, bit and then right. we just create Contact more Contact their friends and family. Yeah. You we know. Start, everyone we know, we start hounding them. <laughs> Isn't that, it's it's just, there's a lot of emotional fear. There, we're just afraid. This is a, this is such a sensitive thing and your whole identity, your name, your ego's on the line and now your picture's online. And like Rob was saying in his bit, what, you're just a pathetic single 
that can't do this any other way. But guess what? Here's the good news. Yeah. Who's going to find you online? The people who are already right. in the same spot exactly as you. Right. It's like in our private practices, that. a client walks in and they run into their neighbor. Well, they're both on equal footing. They yeah. both understand the same thing about each other that's that right. they're in counseling. So, you and know, that's healing, just that. Yeah. So, you know, the people who will see you online are the people who are taking the same risk. So, you yeah. know, we have to get kind of past some of those barriers that are holding us back and, and maybe just trust just the process. maybe excuses sometimes that we just, we're just trying to find a way to not... Because it's very real. It's very and on, I've had I've had six clients in the last eighteen months get go online and find a partner and and four of them are married, two are engaged to be married in the next couple months. Interestingly, they all they all searched nationwide. They all went for the Iowa effect to find somebody else nationwide. But four of the six found them here in Utah. Absolutely. So it's even when you throw the net, cast it wide nationwide. Interestingly, they're still around you. <laughs> They These are. people can still be there. They are absolutely. It can Love be a fun it. experience. I want you guys to have it. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna come back. Elisa Goodwin Snell is joining us. She is at, from the website itsyourtechnique.com. Uh, married with two kids, so you know what she found her husband online. It works. Married uh, or has been a marriage and family therapist for seventeen years. Is now a dating coach, and has just been all over the TV. Has written seven books. We're gonna be back with uh, Elisa. She's gonna give us the tools. She wants to help it. Make it work, for heaven's sakes. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after this break on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. BYU Radio's This Will Take a While brings you engaging and often digressive conversations about film, books, hockey, geography, culture, art, and pretty much everything else. Join host and BYU film professor Dean Duncan weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. On his campaign tour leading up to the address at the Democratic National Convention, President Barack Obama told a Virginia audience that the differences between his campaign and Mitt Romney's will be made clear. At a campus rally in Virginia, the president said the speech he gives Thursday night will make clear why his vision, not Mitt Romney's, is the right one. I will offer what I believe is a better path forward, a path that will create good jobs and strengthen our middle class. But the event here at Norfolk State University, a historically black college, also illustrates Obama's turnout challenge. You'll need blacks to vote in large numbers again in Virginia if he's to retain this key electoral battleground. Mark Smith with the Obama campaign, Norfolk, Virginia. While the president is still working his way towards Charlotte, his wife is already set to be in the spotlight as one of the featured speakers tonight. Here in Charlotte, delegates like Gus Monsoor can't wait to hear the First Lady. She's going to rock the house. Mrs. Obama will speak in primetime on day one, focusing on reminding the nation of who her husband is, defending his record, and encouraging voters to give him another four years. I think her message is going to be stay the course. Georgia delegate Laverne Gaskin says the First Lady is the right one to deliver that message, saying middle-class voters can relate to her in a way they can't with Ann Romney. Sagar Megani, Charlotte. 
Home prices have been slowly climbing back up for years, but have now had a pretty significant increase. It was a leap of 3.8 percent for the 12 months ending in July, the biggest jump in six years, according to a private real estate data provider. CoreLogic says home prices rose 1.3 percent just from June to July. The fifth straight increase in both the monthly and year-over-year price indexes is further evidence that the housing market is steadily recovering. CoreLogic's price index is the third national index to show steady increases. The latest Case-Shiller index showed an annual increase for the first time in nearly two years, and a federal housing agency also has reported annual increases. David Melendi, Washington. Officials at the Centers for Disease Control say high blood pressure is not under control. CDC says nearly one in three American adults has high blood pressure, and half of them do not have it under control, even though they are seeing a doctor and treating it with medicine. CDC Director Dr. Thomas Frieden says millions more either know they have high blood pressure but aren't treating it, or don't even know they have it. We have to roll up our sleeves and make blood pressure control a priority every day with every patient at every doctor's visit. High blood pressure is a major risk factor for heart disease and stroke, accounting for nearly 1,000 deaths a day and more than $130 billion a year in health care costs. I'm David Melendi. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking online dating. It doesn't have to kill you, for heaven's sakes. It's good for you. If you're looking for love, it may be one of the options where you can go find a, you know, somebody that's close, connected. We're talking to a dating coach, Elisa Goodwin-Snell, uh, who is a master of this. She herself found her partner online, and Elisa's given us tips and techniques to make it work. Elisa, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Now, okay. What do we do? How do we start? What are the tips, the techniques so that we don't have to die online? Okay, so first let me kind of walk you through yes. first step by step by step. And what are our goals really? I mean, right, you need to know what it is you're looking goal, for. Right. right, you need to know what you're looking for and with that in mind when you're creating your profile, put things in there that will attract to the kind of per- person you're looking for. Do not make this look demanding like if you're not honest, if you've ever yeah. done this, this or this or this, don't bother contacting me. That looks <laughs> naggy. Yeah. It's not a positive message. Instead, describe yourself in a way that would be attractive to the kind of person you're looking for. So that that way they they have some some positive reference. You want to look like you like men and women. You want to look like you are looking forward to having yeah. a good experience. It's a detractor, exactly. Right? Don't put things in your profile that set you up for abuse. You know, so don't look vulnerable. Don't don't say yeah. a lot about your money or you know your your medical or other problems. Um, your lack and, of self-esteem, your lack of self-worth, your sense that you're no good. Right. You, you want to look confident and you want to, to look like you like yourself. That is right. so attractive. So put some positive things in there. Also mention the kind of things you like to do. Men build relationships through doing things and activities. Right. So they're much more likely to contact women who talk about things and activities that they enjoy doing. So if you're going to describe your huge collection of books that you read and that you sit on the couch every single weekend, chances are you've got a limited group of men who are going to say, oh, I want to sit on the couch next to her. With my and, cat. With my cat, and you know we're not going to do anything all weekend. Instead, talk about the things you'd like to learn how to do. That's really attractive oh, to I guys because then they can serve you. Let me help you. Yeah. I know how to kayak. They can be the gentlemen. Men like to be needed. Men like to be heroes. Men like to be appreciated. So if you're saying, you know, I really don't understand football, help me. You know, so it seems like I would that love profile to profile stage kind of overwhelms people, doesn't it? Like. 
Uh, everyone makes it a make or break. Like, this is it. Okay, if I get this wrong, I won't date anyone. I'll never get married. I'll never have children. Right. Well, and one of the things you need to know is men aren't going to read beyond three paragraphs anyway. So, therefore, you're <laughs> off the hook. You know? So, yeah, so keep just it short. make it short, brief, to the point. Isn't that true? But fill it full of activities. Fill it full of things that you like to do. Make it a positive experience. Men do not make it one or two par- one or two sentences. Make it a couple of paragraphs or you look lazy. And oh, a woman that's going to turn a woman off. Describe yourself in a way where you really make yourself look like a guy who's going to make her feel safe and secure. That's the number one need of a woman in a relationship, and it's the number one reason why you'll be rejected before you even get a telephone number. Give us an example of what would sound safe and secure or what wouldn't. Well, one thing that sounds safe and secure is when you talk highly of women. And you talk about your mother, you talk about your sisters, you talk about other people and the good experiences you've had, and you're looking forward to meeting other good women. Oh, talk huge. about how you're stable, safe, secure. You know, you don't have to describe what you do for a living, but, you know, talk about yourself as a reliable, yeah. stable person. In Just, a job I love doing. Yeah, yeah stuff like that. that you're positive, you know. Um, don't, just don't be negative. Make it a comfortable exchange so that she feels like she could contact you and it would be a safe, comfortable hmm. experience. The next thing, guys, you need to be aware of is if you send a flirt, a poke, a smile, those kinds of things. Women don't know how to respond to that. You don't look as confident. I don't know what this means. And it feels like he's putting the responsibility for contact back on me and I'm supposed to carry the ball from here. Oh, interesting. So the most confident message you can send to a woman to make that first contact is to say to her, hey, I checked out your profile. It looks like we might have a lot in common. Check out my profile. And if you feel like we might be a fit, I'd love to hear about Blah, blah, blah. And then mention something specifically from her profile. To give her like a tool, a lead. Right. And it also shows confidence because you're saying, check out my profile. If it if it's yeah. a fit, I would love to, to learn more about you. If you mention something you actually learned from her profile, you're going to look heads and shoulders better than the You've other guys online. You've done some work. Exactly. You're actually showing interest right. in what she wrote because she put a lot of time into that. Back to the pictures. Men, be really careful about what your picture looks like. If you've got dark eyes, if you have dark shadows under your eyes, if you know you don't have a, a good happy smile on your picture, if it looks lazy or you've just used your phone and mm-hmm. you know it's a strange angle, women really kind of pick up a vibe off of what you what your picture looks like. You need to have a good picture, Isn't or they're a lot less likely to click on you and be. Don't interested just show in the you. picture because you've got a really good fish. Right, on. and don't yeah. don't have a picture where you're. You're, you're topless, you know, and yeah. you're, you know, you're flexing your muscles. That does not make a woman feel safe and secure. Look like a steady, stable, reliable guy. That's part of what we're looking for is whether or not this is the kind of guy that will make us feel safe and secure. If you've got your shirt off and you're flexing your flexing. pecs, you look like a player. You don't yeah. look like a serious, I'm, in, I'm interested in a relationship oh, guy. Oh, see, that's good advice. Most of my producers right there, they failed that one already. <laughs> They're always flexing. Um, it's, to me, that's really good advice because it sounds like a lot of times online – we we it's it's we're moving it too too much towards the physical towards intimate discussions and th- those seem like all just dead giveaways that the person's looking for the well, wrong Well, and thing. a predator is going to be looking for how you respond to those things. And so if he's he or she, you know, has kind of a provocative approach to this process, yeah. they're kind of tempting the waters to see. I mean, there are some people who just want to hook up. They don't yeah. want to look for a relationship. And you'll kind of sense that because they'll ask for bikini pictures. They'll ask for uh-huh. more revealing pictures. They'll be more demands. There'll be more expectations. Or from the woman's perspective, guys, if you're worried about being used, they'll ask for detail about your finances. Um, you know, they'll set you up really quickly to start taking care of them, to become um, kind of the providers or to help oh, them out. Wow. They'll play the victim. Yeah. So you need to not make yourself excessively vulnerable, whether in what you're saying in terms of your your financial situation or whether or not you talk about bad experiences you've had. That's just sending yeah, a, a marker up, yeah. out to the guys to say, hey, I'm a good victim. Yeah. 
um, if you're healthy online, you're going to attract people who are healthy online. So what should you do? If somebody does approach you, starts dropping some of these things in there, do you just do you correct them and tell them we don't want to go there, or do you just bail out? You know, I typically don't go from the approach of criticizing. I redirect. And what I recommend is, hey, this is what works best for me, or, you know, this is what I'm comfortable with. Yeah. So if somebody said, hey, you know, are you available tonight? Let's get together tonight. First off, if somebody's doing that online, you know, what's what's wrong yeah. with this picture? Right. I mean, they're looking a little too desperate and needy. But if you're really interested in the guy, simply to say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm not available now, but I would love to make plans with you in advance. If you can give me a, a day or two, I'd love to do that. If he's a user, he's not going to have the patience or times for it, and he's going to bail. If he's a good guy who has decent motives and intentions and just just used an unwise technique, he'll totally respond and respect those boundaries. If someone's being inappropriate in what they're sharing with you, and for instance, you see this girl and she's really cute, but she's starting to talk about her ex all the time and you're losing interest Mm. really quick, you know, you can simply say, hey, I'm so sorry that you've had such a hard time. Let me take you away from all of that for a while. Let's, you know, and then change the subject. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to learn about this. Wouldn't that be so... I mean, in a way, that could be healing, mm-hmm. or you could just be becoming the next enabling conversation. Yeah, it's for called this a person. too nice trap, and you're yeah. falling into it pretty fast. And you're going to be her therapist, her friend, and then she's going to move on with another guy. Uh. So, you know, good boundaries again create a better mm-hmm. situation. In terms of the woman, women really need to have a nice picture. I mean, that's that's make yeah. it or break Men it. Are visual, Guys are visual, yeah. and so he's got to have something that makes him more attracted to her. And so, if you're not getting a response, first off, put a picture up. Put your profile up. Does it have to be your picture, Elisa? Can it <laughs> well, be someone else's picture? Um, can it come from a magazine? Can it be from five years ago, <laughs> can it be from 50 five pounds years ago earlier? Before the accident. Right, yeah. exactly. You know, people get pretty mad when they meet you and uh, you don't look like your picture. The bait and switch. Oh, huh? yeah. And, you know, that's the number one complaint men make about online dating is that they meet the woman yeah. and she doesn't look like her picture. So be honest yeah. online. Um, also, when you're doing your picture, if you're not getting a result, there's a lot of. Um, issues. It's not you. It's your technique. There's a lot of things that could be a reason why you're not getting many people to look at you. So give it two, three weeks, put a picture up, put your profile up. And if you're not getting the result you're looking for, change the picture, yeah. number one, and then change the profile. See if that gets a little bit more of That's a result. That's just marketing 101. And it's, it's learning just what works and what doesn't. And yeah. just keep playing with it till you're getting the things you want. Women, another technique I recommend is go to, most websites have who's viewed you. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about who has viewed you, even if they haven't emailed you, is there must have been something that was attractive about you in your picture for them to have clicked on your picture. So rather than contact those men right away, men are driven to compete, face challenges, succeed, and conquer. And so if you take the challenge away, they're much less likely to contact you. They want the challenge of contacting you themselves. So instead, view their profile, see what they talk about, what are their interests. And if he talks about football, simply change up what's on your profile to be more attractive to that kind of person. And if you're an open-minded person, you can simply say, I don't get the game of football. I would love someone to explain it to me there and he see is. if he responds. Yeah. I've had several clients who have had success in meeting the people they wanted to meet that they checked out their profiles online by changing up something and that person contacted them. Well, that's that's just smart. Look how much work that is. That's probably why they're not doing I mean, that takes – that's the hunt. That's the search. Right. And if you contact – by far and large, if a woman leaves a telephone number for a guy at a restaurant, the likelihood of him actually calling – yes, he was flattered, but the likelihood of him actually calling is much less versus if she simply said to him, you know, I would love to get to know you better. I would love you to call me sometime. Smiles at him and walks away. Let him ask for the number. Let him right. stop you and get your number. Yeah. Um, it's all about technique. And that's the technique I recommend when it comes to wanting him to ask 
for your number. So he sends you an email or guys, you've sent her an email. Um, and in the case of the women, if the guy just sends you a flirt, poke or, or um, smile or whatever, respond back by saying, same technique I suggested to the guys. I checked out your profile. You know, you seem very interesting. I'd love to hear more about blah, blah, blah. Right. And rather than criticize, boy, that was really lazy of you to only send me a smile. I mean, <laughs> you know, aren't I worth a message? Right. You know, instead of criticizing, just point them in the right direction. I would love to hear more about this and this. Then when he responds back, again, we just exchange like two, three, maybe four emails back and forth. At that point, this thing is going to start to to dive pretty quickly because it either is going somewhere and we're developing a connection or we're not. I love that. And there's not a whole lot more I can share. That's right. Yeah. And if I share a lot more in emails, I could be opening myself up with a lot more information when I meet them or I hear them on the phone and I'm like, whoa, not as advertised. So at that point, women, this is how you move it forward. Simply say to them, I would love to get to know you better. And email just seems so limiting. I would love you to call me sometime. Let him ask for your number. That's all you say in the email. I would love you to call me sometime. If he's interested and he's motivated and he's willing to do the work, he will totally write back and say, yeah, when can I call? Can I get your number? And if he, people often complain too, you know, well, he gave me his number. Well, that's really hard for women. You need to understand women. Men give out their numbers because they're trying to make you feel safe and secure. They don't want you to feel uncomfortable. They want you to feel empowered. It's all up to you. You lead it how you want to go. But that leaves all the responsibility back on a woman. And it's so tough to make that first call. I had a couple of guys who did that with me online. Very respectful. I appreciate that, but I couldn't bring myself to call. This is the response, ladies. Email them back and say, oh, you are so sweet. And I would love to call you, but it is so nerve-wracking. I don't know how guys do it. Save me from myself and give me a call instead. You know, And that yeah. means that, that speaks to the whole... You know, wanting to be a hero, yeah. guys totally soaked you, that up. Lady. Yeah, and yeah. they totally called quickly simply mm-hmm. because I was very warm and feminine and putting the responsibility back with them in a loving way. See, it's it's a lot of there's just a lot of kind of um, there's a lot of innuendo. There's a lot of fear. It's almost like we're operating so much more out of fear than just confidence. I guess it would be because we're, we're not good at this. And, you know, if you don't know what to do, you're going to default to fear. And that's part of the reason why what I teach is very behaviorally specific. Yeah. And again, the idea is it's not you, it's your technique. So my website is itsyourtechnique.com. All you have to do is go to my website. There's articles, there's videos, there's everything. There's audios, I have books. All you have to do is sign up for my emails and you'll get immediate free dating advice and tons of information. So go to my website, itsyourtechnique.com, sign up for emails and I'll start sending you this information. Um, But if you know what to do, it's like a fire. It's it's like men running into a fire or running into a burning building. If a guy doesn't know what to do, he's going to stand on the outside, pure and simple. But if he knows how to fight a fire, he'll he'll put on his gear and he'll run in. And you'll act so much more confident. You just need to know what to do. So going to a couple of other problems that we find with online dating, we want to move forward with the telephone call. You need to do it in a safe way. We've covered that already. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are a lot of other things people struggle with with online dating. She doesn't look like her picture. Yeah, what happened? (laughs) He's not as advertised. Um, One of the things you want to remember is you're more attractive if you have a lot of options. So women remember, men like women, other men like. Don't get too into just one guy. Keep your options open. You are not making a commitment to someone just because you're emailing them. What if they tell you, you know, I really want you to just get rid of the others now. That sounds so much more like a controlling guy. When we're going back to the early warning signs, healthy, normal guys just know you don't know me. They do not have expectations that way. When they take you out for dinner, guess what? It's not because they're expecting anything in return because they actually just wanted to have a good time and dinner with you. (laughs) Right. So just have faith that you're on a date with a good normal guy until proven otherwise because he starts to get creepy and possessive. That's great advice. 
Um, other things that you can do to encourage the process is, you know, meet at a public place. But remember, once you're there, to make each other feel great. The underlying goal of everything I teach is to make the opposite sex feel great. And so in order to make the opposite sex feel great, you need to understand the primary needs of the opposite sex. Men, remember, the number one need is to make her or the number one need of a woman is to feel safe and secure. So, you know, when it comes to offering to pick her up at her house, don't expect that from online dating. Don't right. even offer. Tell her up front, you know, I know you don't know me. And so probably the safest way for you to meet me would be in public. Um, where would you like to go? Where would you like to eat? What feels safe for you? Um, put That's that great. out there because the moment that you you show her your care, you care about her safety and security, the less worried she'll be about that. Then when she is there, just, you know, make sure you feel, make her feel great. Um, don't buy expensive, you know, gifts. Yeah. Don't give flowers. It looks too over the top. Go to a, a moderate you restaurant. You know this person. Just right. connect. Yeah, just connect. Make it reasonable. Right. Um, make her feel comfortable because you're not spending too much on her. And then at the end of the evening, simply say, you know, I'd love to get to know you better. Can I give you a call sometime next week? And here's a great technique for knowing if she's interested back. Then you can say to her, when would be a good time to call? And she'll show you how interested she is in you by how quickly she says she'd like you to call. Excellent. Tomorrow. And, yeah, exactly. And then you know that you can give A-list attention to women who are giving you A-list attention. Excellent. And so talk that's about how all you those tested on, it. Right. And if she says in a couple of weeks, then you know you're on her B-list. Not a bad list to be no, on because no. maybe things will change down yeah. the road, but at least you're not giving the best of you to people who are giving oh, you B-list attention. Heavens. But see that is a, that's such a that's reciprocity, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna gauge it based on what I'm seeing, but I'm gonna be actively trying to earn it, mm-hmm. the trust, the confidence. Make with her it. comfortable and show her that I'm willing to work for her trust and confidence. What's his biggest need? Hers is safety. What would his be? His is he wants to. Well, the number one need of a man is to feel that she has faith and trust in him. Mm-hmm. Men know that they have to work to earn that kind yeah. of stuff. In the meantime, however, he he's good with appreciation, a warm touch, gentle tones. If she smiles at him, she looks at him. Touches him on occasion. All of those things help to encourage him asking her for another date. Love it. Elisa Goodwin Snell. See, this is a ton of information. I have so much to share. I know it's hard you to do. Put I it love all it. In we're going to have to have you back just to pick your brain. So what we're going to do, Elisa, we're going to take a break. We'll be back after this break, and then we're going to have you. We're going to bring in some of our producers okay. who have questions, fears, concerns, and I think some childhood memories they <laughs> want to get rid of. Uh, they're going to be picking your brain as well. Elisa Goodwin-Snell, the dating coach. You can get a hold of her at itsyourtechnique.com. Check her out. We'll be back with more, Elisa, uh, after this break right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Nanotechnology. This science of the future is making present-day life on Earth a little safer. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. About 10 years ago, the Center for Nanotechnology at NASA's Ames Research Center created a carbon nanotube-based biosensor. The original intent of this tiny device was to help identify life on Mars. A New York-based company called Early Warning licensed the sensor technology from NASA to improve and adapt it for identifying biohazards on Earth. 
Early Warning's Biohazard Water Analyzer now allows for on-the-fly detection and reporting of dangerous organic contaminants. The entire process takes less than three hours, a significant improvement over lab-based testing. The innovation makes it easier to check recreational water quality at beaches and lakes. Farmers can use it to make sure feed water for cattle is sanitary. Even food and beverage companies can use it to ensure the purity of water used in their products. With estimates of more than a billion people worldwide without access to safe water, the fruits of this partnership may be more necessary than ever. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Richard and Linda Iyer are world-traveling family coaches, and they have some advice for you. From how to deal with a rebellious teenager to managing a family reunion, the Iyers have experienced it all. Wherever they happen to be traveling in the world, you can always find them here Monday through Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, kiddos. We are uh, talking about online dating, the tricks of the trade, and we've got Elisa Goodwin-Snell, our dating coach, uh, marriage and family therapist for 17 years. She is she has a website called itsyourtechnique.com. She's trying to teach us the rules of the road uh, so that we don't keep stepping on and, and running each other over while we're online. We're going to go to our producers. Some of our producers have some concerns, some questions. Rob is uh, our executive producer. Rob? How you doing, my friend? You've got a question for Elisa? Well, I, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I haven't done a whole lot of online dating myself, but my uncle did. You know, he, his oh, wife passed away. it's always the uncle. <laughs> well, his wife <laughs> passed away. Several years went by, and he, he felt he needed to access a bigger pool because he lived in a smaller community. But I know one of the dates that worked out for him, he said the problem he had was he, he would met up at, uh, you know, some kind of little restaurant type thing, and the woman was so afraid he was going to do something wrong, she demanded even to sit there at the table at the restaurant that, I want your car keys. And then she sat, you know, sat there holding the car keys yeah. the entire time. She took his car keys. <laughs> that sounds a little so predatory. So he wouldn't do anything wrong. <laughs> when it was in a public place, too, and it seemed a little bit over the top That's to me. Awkward. Lisa, it reveals a lot about someone and how they approach things. And sometimes it's just they're so new into the game, they don't understand a better way, and they get right. on board with how foolish that was I mean, really there's quickly. other ways. Handcuffs, <laughs> gun A gun, right. I mean, <laughs> you know, we have had some scary news. Yeah, and you talk about there's... sexual assaults that have happened mm-hmm. to some women who have been who have met online, but by far and large, you know, it's just not that huge of an issue. So, uh, the number one need of a man is to feel that you have faith and trust in him and his competence. Women, you need to be ready to look for goodness in men right. and to recognize that there are good men out there. And when he's willing to meet you in a public place, you've resolved your That's safety issues before. Yeah, you need to be open. You need to be warm. It, a guy is just not going to keep pursuing you if you don't smile at him. You don't give him compliments, and if you don't give him your keys back. His keys back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I guess, too, we don't lead with our fear. You know? No, it's very unattractive. It's so unattractive. And it, you know, of course, if you've had a bad experience, you need to just remember it's not it's not you. Yeah. Don't take it personal. This happens to everybody on a certain level. Let Huge. it just be the process and not a personal experience. Oh, man, that's a tough one. Okay, Catherine, another producer. Catherine, uh, what's your question for Elisa? 
Well, just playing off what she was talking about, what happens when you do have a negative experience? How do you overcome that and be willing to go out with someone again? That's good. Well, I think Matt kind of spoke to that. Don't give in to your fears. I mean, the more that you play on your fears, the more anxious you're going to be about the process. Instead, make this a faith-based experience and trust that there's a lot of good people out there and you're going to have a good experience and just get back out there. Have better boundaries Mm -hmm. after a bad experience. Learn what boundaries look like and how to do it. But outside of that, get out there and trust people and and believe that you're going to have a good experience. that law of similars that what we put out there, we end up drawing back to yeah. us. And so if you keep leading with fear, you're going to keep attracting the kind of people these, that will perpetuate that fear. so true. And these are the ones that like on the first date are asking questions that are so like offense. So have you ever done porn? Have you ever done oh, pornography? yeah. Or um, so how much money do you make? Exactly. How long have you had your job? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's almost this interrogation where you're thinking – Really? Yeah. And obviously, if you're hearing this and you're like, oh, I've done that, just remember. Yeah. <laughs> you know, give yourself a break and yeah. say, I'm a good person. I'm a good I, person. I try hard right. and I did the best I could with what I knew and then use a better technique. Love it. Okay, good. Uh, Skylar, another producer here, our board op. Yes. Um, I don't really have a question. It's more of a concern, I guess. Um, I'm, I've never done online dating, but as I understand it, you kind of have their picture and then like information about them, kind of their interests. And um, when, I, when I'm dating girls, I'm not so interested in their interests, but more like their personality and how I interact with them. Because my last girlfriend, we had no similar interests. We were like complete opposites, but we meshed well together mm-hmm. and we were able to talk a lot. And it wasn't, it wasn't just because be, of our interests. It was more just our personalities worked well together. So you're probably wondering how would I know who to make a connection with when I'm looking at their interests and I'm right. thinking maybe we have similar interests or we don't, but it's their personality I'm most interested right. in. I think what people say on their profile shows a bit of their personality. So I think you'll find people online who maybe their interests aren't what you're focused on, but what they're actually saying and how they're saying it. More importantly, probably if your girlfriend, if your former girlfriend, if you had met online, you would have seen her picture and you would have said, oh, she's cute. And you would have initiated contact simply from that. And so, you know, online dating, you have to put something out there and then you you just kind of have to trust the process. It evolves very quickly, more like a natural dating process once you get to the phone visit. This, it's only awkward and weird um, in terms of these different techniques prior to the phone visit, but then it really can progress very naturally from there. Well, and that's communication kind of 101. We throw something out there and then we watch how you react to it. And then from that, we then throw out the next thing. And so you always – you just have to get the party started quite honestly, right? Right. What else? Okay, if we wrap this up, Elisa, we've got about a minute, minute and a half. What is the – what's the takeaway? What, what's one thing? The, what's the first thing we should do? Well, I think probably the most important thing, if I wanted anybody to take away something, it would be learning how to make the other person feel great. Um, that is the underlying principle of all the flirting techniques I teach, all the pursuing skills I teach. Right. If you don't know how to make each other feel great, it doesn't matter how you met them. It's not going to get anywhere. But there's a, a tremendous lack of meaningful connections in this world nowadays. And if you sign up for my email updates, I'll send you what I call the 17 secrets to the male and female psychology. That's a great That's place huge. to start in terms of learning how to make the opposite sex feel great. And you need those skills, whether it's someone you work with or it's, you know, your family members or the guy you're meeting or the girl you've just met online or wherever you've met her, you need to know how to make each other feel great. So if you go to itsyourtechnique.com, I can start you on the path to understanding the opposite sex better and making those meaningful connections. I love that too, because the minute it's no longer, it's the minute it's about serving you, mm-hmm. it's no longer about me. Mm-hmm. And when it's no longer about me, then I, I can, I guess, kind of settle into who I really am, serve you, 
care for you. Even if it doesn't work with this, I've at least lived a higher standard with myself and with you. Well, and the more I focus on making someone feel great, the less anxious I feel, the less depressed yeah. I feel, the Fearful. more natural oh. I can I can feel because I'm not so worried about what they're thinking of me. I'm more concerned about how to create a good experience for the other person. And then it feels more meaningful as oh, well. Oh, see? Elisa, it's almost like you've done this before. <laughs> I've done this for a little while. <laughs> you are a highly trained professional, my friend. So again, go check out Elisa Goodwin Snell at itsyourtechnique.com. Um, it really is. It's a site full of information, ideas, tools. Join her newsletter. Get those 17 tips. Elisa, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We're going to have you back for sure because uh, after we get everyone online, we're going to then have to fix all these relationships. <laughs> Good stuff, my friend. Thanks for uh, joining us, everybody. Remember, uh, we're here Monday through Friday. We'd love to bring you more tools, ideas to help you see that the world is a great place. It's not all dark and dreary. Join us tomorrow for more uh, on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. The following is a production of BYU Broadcasting in cooperation with the Brigham Young University Division of Continuing Education. The book of Leviticus in the Holy Bible contains this passage. The stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, I can't help connecting this verse of Scripture with a political comic strip I saw some time ago. The comic shows a business-suited gentleman, apparently a politician, pointing a finger at a man, woman, and child dressed in traditional Mexican attire. The speech bubble above his head reads, It's time to reclaim America from illegal immigrants. Standing behind the man is a Native American, and his speech bubble reads, I'll help you pack. Immigration, one of the most hotly contested issues of recent times, not only here in the state of Utah, but across the country. In the current highly polarized political season, approaches to immigration policy take on multiple shapes. The moral, ethical, or religious aspect is only one consideration, but certainly one of the more important of them all. I suppose public policy in certain ways might be steered by a religious citizenry to parallel the exhortation of Leviticus that we treat the stranger in our lands as one born among us. But what should be the proper intersection of religious values with the secularized realm of public policy? Hello, I'm Marcus Smith, thinking aloud today about the role of religiosity in the political arena. Religion informs many a social agenda, immigration reform not least, to what extent does a religious identity overlap or intersect a political identity? And just how might a political scientist talk about the religious element that informs our public policy discourse? Joining me is a scholar who considers carefully this intersection, interplay, and maybe even interference of religion with politics, and I'm eager to hear what she might have to say. Thanks for listening. Great pleasure to welcome Catherine Wilson to Thinking Aloud. She teaches political science and is the nonprofit coordinator in the Masters of Public Administration program at Villanova University. Her fields of study include nonprofit management, immigration politics, religion and politics, and American politics. Catherine Wilson is the author of The Politics of Latino Faith Religion, Identity, and Urban Community. 
Her current research examines the role that public, private, and nonprofit organizations are playing in serving immigrant communities in the city of Philadelphia with special attention to immigrant integration. Uh, Catherine Wilson joins us today as the guest of the Wheatley Institution, and her Wheatley Lecture in International Affairs will be titled Immigration, Citizenship, and American Political Culture. Catherine Wilson, great to have you on Thinking Aloud. Thanks for coming. Thanks. It's great to be here. I have been thinking about sitting down with you for Mm -hmm. a couple of days now. Okay. And I've just been wondering, what does it feel like to be so near the crosshairs of the Fuhrer over immigration as an academic? I would imagine that that's unpleasant at times. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that immigration tends to be right now the third rail of politics. I think it's a tough and complex and controversial topic, but... What I'm hoping to do is really try to have the two sides that are not speaking to each other on this issue really try to speak a different language and come to terms with what the realities are affecting the issue. Do you feel optimistic that there's a chance of really achieving something, or or do you even advocate for comprehensive immigration reform? Personally, as an academic, I'm not an advocate per se. Although you can probably sense in my research sort of movement towards one position versus the other. More importantly, I think what we have to do is come to terms with providing sort of a more welcoming attitude towards immigrant populations that are in our midst. And I think that's really the challenge of the 21st century, both for American politics and for public administration. I just don't think we can ignore the issue of immigration any longer, given the demographic trends, given the rising numbers, given the contributions that they make. I mean, that's sort of what I'm trying to grapple with. Like, how do you wrap your arms around the contributions, the different policies that municipalities are putting forth alongside the opposite movement that states are engaging in as well? Well, if advocacy is not what you're about necessarily, Mm -hmm. because we know that scholars have to be detached and objective Mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff, which Mm -hmm. is is rubbish. You know that, and Mm -hmm. I know that. But but there is a a certain propriety Mm -hmm. in in not engaging Mm -hmm. as though you were part of this polarized Mm -hmm. environment. But given all of that, what you must be advocating at least for better communication mm-hmm. between the sides. That- yeah, absolutely. And I think what we find just in the political landscape is this tendency to just sort of have the answers already solved on one side or the other. And this is where my research, I think, hopefully will help to the extent that I think nonprofits play an incredibly important role because they navigate the political landscape. They navigate between left and right. They can present realities that elected officials, you know, will have to listen to. So to the degree that I'm looking at sort of communities and nonprofit organizations that represent them, the hope is then that that creates a bipartisan conversation because they're dealing with the populations and how these populations are fostering contributions to society, whether that be economically, culturally, politically, and so forth. Now, when you talk about nonprofits having Mm -hmm. some sort of efficacious role Mm -hmm. in all of this, how do you rank nonprofits as a category Mm -hmm. as really contributing something that's going to be uh, positive and solving the problem compared to other voices? Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, in the political realm Mm -hmm. where you have candidates and parties, there's such polarization in the Mm -hmm. country now. I would would rank parties Mm -hmm. and candidates very low as being able to bring people Mm -hmm. together to really wrangle with the issues and come to some sensible Mm -hmm. consensus. but nonprofits, are there other categories of organizations that you can think of? Or do you fold churches in with nonprofits? I fold churches in with nonprofits because if you look at the realm of the nonprofit organizations that are sort of working in this landscape, you can look at 
advocacy organizations. You can see um, sort of broad-based ethnic organizations helping immigrant populations and faith-based organizations. So, you know, if you look at the groups that are sort of active in this movement, you're actually looking at all of the above. And so nonprofit, to me, is a broader category that encompasses faith-based organizations as well. Well, well what, what is it that allows nonprofits to be poised to be very helpful in contributing to, to, to good dialogue about immigration? Well, if they're not an advocacy organization, if they're not a political action committee, if they don't lobby for particular, sometimes they lobby for particular pieces of legislation, but if they don't actively involve in sort of supporting and endorsing candidates, they actually can have a more neutral and sort of less biased role in this debate because either they're providing information in a think tank basis, or they're working with immigrant populations at the grassroots level. So sometimes they're sort of the first responders to what's taking place in the communities with regard to the demographic trends and the growth in immigrant populations. So I see them as, in many ways, ambassadors to the immigrant community who are learning to speak for themselves, but might not have that voice. Now, I'm going to second guess you and Mm -hmm. say, because these organizations are in the trenches, as Uh it were, they are accumulating empirical evidence Mm -hmm. that is generally incontrovertible. And so you have to give them clout, Mm -hmm. even if you don't want to, if Mm -hmm. you're in the polarized community. That's exactly right. It works that way. Well, I mean, it's not incontrovertible, but the, the reality is, is that they understand what the trends are. And I'm not saying that they're the only ones that we should go to. I mean, there's folks that are putting forth academic research. Politicians are involved on both sides of this issue. But I think to dismiss nonprofits because they're simply service providers, I think they do a heck of a lot more than that. I think they testify before Congress oftentimes. They work with uh, government agencies. They foster partnerships. They collaborate. They get grants. I mean, they are literally doing the work alongside a whole host of other organizations. Now, let's talk about the current weather (laughs) of the political landscape. I would imagine that there hasn't been a more difficult season in which to uh, uh, address change or address uh, uh, remedies than the current polarized political environment. Are nonprofits having a harder time today than, say, five years ago in advocating for uh, needed change or reform or... Absolutely. I think um, a big part of this is the economic realities that we're facing and the difficulty not only in nonprofits making their case that, indeed, uh, immigrant populations can, in fact, contribute economically to the lifeblood of municipalities and local governments and so forth, but also to the degree that nonprofits are getting their funding cut as well, so they don't have the same type of resources that they once had. So I think it's an incredibly difficult environment. Added to that is just the whole historical dialogue that has been going on in throughout American history that immigrants become economic scapegoats, right? That they become the scapegoat for a bad economy, for lack of jobs, and so forth. So there's a lot of different fights, I think, that are going on, which are reducing the nonprofit ability to make their case even that much more efficacious, if I want to use that word. You, you've touched upon the benefits or the at least the, the financial benefit of, mm-hmm. of uh, having a, a, a population of workers in mm-hmm. uh, segments of the economy that are needed. I, know, I remember here when Utah, uh, within the last year, has been very much grappling with its proposed uh, uh, angle on how to, how to reform uh, immigration law. Uh, the argument was frequently made that if you were 
to uh, deport uh, uh, this segment of the population, uh, the, the dollars involved seem to speak really loud. It, it's almost always that way, isn't it? That, that uh, if, you, if your argument want, is, is going to be heard, you have to talk money. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the case. And to the degree that states like Arizona and now recent reports coming out about the cost that Alabama has weathered given the new immigration law, like the the cost that it's had it on the state, the effect, I actually think many states have actually turned away from those types of policies because of the economic effects. Um, and part of that are lawsuits and part of that is just sort of business and so forth. But in this day and age, what I'm hearing from the nonprofit community, the city agencies, is that we have to speak in economic terms and we have to make our case strong that, in fact, the contributions outweigh the costs. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at. I was just wondering if that was the most compelling argument for nonprofits today. It is the most, I would say. I would say. And is that the drum that is being beaten by the nonprofits above all others? Now, I mean, is, is that strategy? Is that angle understood generally? I would say that coupled with helping families stay together. So if you believe in the American dream, um, why should we also be separating families that don't need to be separated from one another? So you have sort of the cultural familial perspective and you have the economic perspective alongside that. Coupled with that is the sort of cultural contributions that immigrants bring, that the robustness that they bring to American public life. Our guest on Thinking Aloud today is Catherine Wilson. She's a political scientist and teaches at Villanova University, and we're talking about her work as it relates to immigration. You know, I tend to be I revert to my youth, and I become an idealist at times, and I think to myself, shouldn't we just preach the gospel? Uh, I just think, shouldn't we say, Christ said this, or in Leviticus, Leviticus it says that the alien should not be a stranger, or and I, I tend to have this hope that people will just say, uh, we can change things according to the gospel that I was taught mm-hmm. when I was growing up, and yet this money argument speaks much more loudly in the end. Is there real utility or any progress for those who are advocating for a more lenient position on immigration? Is there utility in preaching a gospel of charity? I think absolutely. And I think that that sort of rhetoric is still resonating. And I mentioned earlier about the role of the faith-based community. And I had mentioned to someone the other day that, you know, what's fascinating about the issue of immigration is the degree to which Pretty much every faith-based group, every religious denomination is really singing from the same songbook on this issue, that they do believe that people should be given a second chance, there should be more welcoming policies, that um, we should have sort of a path to citizenship with sort of those folks having to pay back taxes and so forth, that there's some type of system that we can have in place that going back to your issue about deportation, that doesn't make any sense, that doesn't sort of resemble the kind of culture that we would like to be. So I would say for the faith-based community, they can't get around sort of those biblical narrative um, phraseology, but neither should they. I mean, that's part of their their cultural, that's cu- culture, that's part of their heritage. So I think it resonates very strongly for those people. Yeah. Getting back to where I began with uh, the comfort or discomfort, relatively speaking, of being near the crosshairs of all of this, um, I, I do want to conclude this little segment of our conversation about Arizona and Utah and Alabama and their various approaches. Are, is that process stalled out right now? 
I think we're in the season. Are we waiting on the courts right now to kind of uh, move that forward and come to 